Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This morning, we are continuing in a series uh, that we started a couple of weeks ago called Connect with God. And each week, we're looking at the ways in which we can develop and deepen our walk with God. Um, Or as Pastor Matt said in the first week of this series, we're looking at the free throws and the layups, or the easy points, of growing our faith. But as the guys that I play basketball with every Wednesday will tell you from watching me play, free throws and layups are not always the easy points. Uh, In fact, they seem uh, impossible at times, which I think makes this an appropriate analogy for where we're going today in this series. As we come to the question we're asking this week, how do I connect with God in prayer? One of the miracles of our faith is the gift of prayer. It's in which God has given us this privilege of coming into his presence to express adoration, praise, personal need to make requests on behalf of others, to bring our sorrow, our grief, our pain, questions, bring confession of sin, and to share our day-to-day lives directly with him. And when we read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, that's exactly what we see the people of God doing. In fact, there are around 650 recorded prayers in the Bible. And so I just wanna take the next couple of hours and read each of them to you this morning. Um, Just a few examples though, uh, of prayer that we see uh, across the Bible. Uh, In Genesis, we see the first recorded prayer, right? We see the the first account of people calling out to God. In Exodus, we see Moses over and over again and his prayers to God, prayers for God's help, prayers for God's mercy, Uh, on Israel, prayers for God to punish Israel um, and everything in between. In Joshua, we see God responding to a request from Joshua and making the sun stand still so that Israel can defeat the Amorites. The entire book of Psalms, 150 songs and prayers filled with every emotion expressed to God because of life circumstances and because of the recognition of God's glory. We get to the New Testament, we see the centrality of prayer in the life of Jesus. Over and over again, we see Jesus praying and we see the the importance of that in his life. In the book of Acts, we see that the first church is saturated in prayer, in communication, in communion with God. Paul's letters are full of prayer, every one of them, full of prayer and instruction on prayer. We get to the book of Revelation and we see even in the book of Revelation, at the end, we see Christ standing at the throne and we see prayers being offered up as incense to him. So throughout scripture, we see that not only is there a necessity of prayer for the people of God, but there is a depth and a richness and an intimacy when God's people enter his presence in prayer that leaves them in awe of his glory, and it leaves them with an insatiable desire to know him more. Yet the the reality for us is that we oftentimes find ourselves on the opposite end of that spectrum. We find ourselves disconnected or disinterested or disheartened by the idea and even the practice of prayer. Saying or thinking things like, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel anything when I do pray. I don't have time to pray. God's an- God doesn't answer my prayer, so why should I pray? Prayer is boring. And the list goes on and on and on. And if and when we find ourselves in that place, uh, then it should lead us to ask questions. Questions like, why do I not experience the kind of prayer 
that we see throughout the Bible. Why does prayer seem like it is always a duty and never a delight? Why am I not connecting with God in prayer? Now, just so we're all on the same page, the goal this morning is not for me to give you a five-step process to supernatural prayers or to give you seven biblical words uh, to say that get God to answer all your prayers. But what I do hope uh, to do this morning is to look at a passage that many of you are probably familiar with. And from this passage and several Psalms, see what the framework for prayer that connects us with God looks like. And so in Matthew chapter six, we're jumping into the middle of Jesus' sermon on the mount. And as we jump into the middle of this sermon, Jesus starts this chapter, uh, chapter six, by fleshing out what a life of faith and righteous living looks like for his followers. But particularly he is pointing out that righteous living, the kind that honors God, is not about the, the acts themselves, but about the motivations in the heart of those actions. And so in verse five, Jesus turns his attention specifically to prayer. So we'll pick up in Matthew chapter six, verse five and read through 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So when I was in high school, I grew up playing football and um, every week before our, before our football games, we would always gather the team together right before we run out onto the field and either a coach or uh, one of my teammates or embarrassingly uh, even myself at times would give some kind of passionate speech about how the game of football was like war and how the other team was the enemy and how our job was to completely destroy them. Them being the other team of high schoolers playing a game with a ball. And then at the end of this battle speech, immediately following it, the next words out of our mouth would be, all right, let's pray. And we would all come together and we'd take a knee, the whole team would join in and in an extra fast, uh, very low rumble with voices barely above a whisper because we wanted to be reverent, we would recite the Lord's Prayer. I did that for three years, the entire three years that I was in high school. And eventually for those guys, I can promise you, no matter where they ended up, no matter what they believe, no matter if they are a Christian or not, I promise you every one of them can recite the Lord's Prayer. It's etched in our brains. And if you've grown up in church or been on a sports team or, or even watched sports movies, then you are probably familiar to some degree with the Lord's Prayer which is why I think it's important to say at this point that today and throughout the rest of our lives, we have to fight the temptation to allow any part of the Word of God to lose its authority over our lives, no matter how familiar we may be with it. And this is especially true when we come to this passage uh, where Jesus is giving us instructions on how to pray. Because in this passage, He is laying out the framework for what prayer that connects us to God looks like. 
So the first thing that we see in this passage is that prayer that connects us to God is shaped by God's word. Shaped by God's word. If there are two things that I hope that, that you would take away from this morning's message, um, one would be the primacy of God's worship in prayer, which we're gonna talk about in a minute, but two would be the necessity of God's word in shaping our prayers. We can think about that in a few ways. We can think of it in, in the most literal sense, uh, which is what we see in verse five. Um, Jesus starts out, and when you pray, the Bible assumes that God's people will pray. Uh, and when you pray, the same is true of giving to the needy in verse two, and when you give, and fasting in verse 16, and when you fast. So we see very literally that prayer being shaped by God's word, uh, prayer being shaped by God's word and teaching us, it's teaching us that followers of Jesus, for followers of Jesus, conversation with God is a given. It's part of our lives, which means that learning how to pray and cultivating prayer uh, are worthy endeavors for us to pursue. But God's word also shapes our prayers by revealing who we are praying to. The Bible reveals who we are praying to. And knowing God through his word is essential for us if we want to connect with God in prayer. Jesus shows us in verses five through eight, he shows us who it is we're praying to by first showing us who we're not praying to. Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites in verse five, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. So we first see that we are not praying to a God who requires prayer as a duty and an act for the sake of doing it. That's who the hypocrites believed that they were praying to. That's why their motivation was for others to see their righteousness and to praise them for it. And that was the reward that they received. Instead, what we see is a God who is the one true God who is calling us to give our full attention and our prayer and for our prayer to be for his sight and his approval and for the rewards that he gives, namely himself. We also see that God is not like the false gods that pagan Gentiles were praying to in verse seven. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So we see that God is not a God who needs to hear meaningless words or meaningless phrases uh, repeated over and over again in order to appease him enough to toss us a few crumbs. He is an all-knowing God of the, the all-knowing God of the universe who knows exactly what we need before we ask. And he doesn't need magic words or magic formulas to provide for those needs. But then Jesus continues and reveals to us even greater news about who it is we are praying to. Four times in verses nine through 13, he refers to God as father and not just as his father. He refers to him as your father and our father. Verse seven, he says, your father knows. Verse six, pray to your father, your father who sees. Verse nine, pray like this, our father. Over and over throughout the rest of this chapter and throughout the rest of this book, Jesus points to the God of the Bible, the God of creation, the God who saves us from our own sin and destruction as our father. And he's a thousand times better than the greatest earthly father that we may know. He's a thousand times better than the father that even the young man in the video that we just watched was hoping for. 
And because he is a good father, through Jesus Christ, he has made a way for sinners to be reconciled to him. By repenting of our sin, by placing our trust in Christ as our Lord, we can now confidently come into his presence through prayer, not as enemies, not as rebels, but as unconditionally loved sons and daughters. We have to start there before we go anywhere else. We have to know who it is we're praying to if we're going to have any kind of depth to our prayers. And finally, the Bible teaches us what hinders our prayers, what hinders and helps our prayers, which is what we're going to see throughout the rest of this passage. And which again is why we have to resist the temptation to run past the Bible and even run past familiar passages like the Lord's Prayer from Jesus in our attempt to deepen and improve our prayer life. Everything we need to know, everything you need to know, everything I need to know uh, in order to know God and connect with Him in prayer can be found in His Word. The second way that prayer connects us to God is when it is motivated by God's worship. So it's shaped by God's Word, but then it's motivated by God's worship. Verse nine, we're introduced to the Lord's Prayer or what could also be called the model prayer. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he gives us his model prayer and lays out the example for us. And notice that the first request in the model prayer is not for anything related to me. It's for hallowing, <clears throat> it's for hallowing or honoring or worshiping, the worshiping of God's name above everything else. Growing up, the, the verse before this, verse eight, used to confuse me because it says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Kind of left me asking the question, if God already knows what I need before I ask him, then what's the point in asking? And what Jesus is saying in verse nine is that God already knowing is the point. Prayer is not primarily about me bringing my needs to God. Prayer is primarily about me bringing my worship to God. Prayer is primarily about me coming into the presence of God and praising Him for His greatness, His sovereignty, His grace and His mercy, His forgiveness, His offering of salvation, His ability to give new life, His ability to heal every sickness and disease, His desire to comfort those who mourn, His ability to provide any and every need we may have, and the reality that even if He chose not to do any one of those things, He is still worthy of every single ounce of worship because He is God. And that is hallowing the name of the Lord. And that is what Jesus tells us to do when we come into his presence to pray. And it's from this hallowing of our hearts, uh, it's from this hallowing and in this hallowing, this worship of God, that our hearts and our minds begin to get recalibrated to reality. And we begin to see and connect with God. So I've, I've been married to my wife, Rachel, for three years, almost three years um, in May. And one of the things that Rachel learned very early on um, when we got married was that I suffer from a condition known as hangriness. And for those of you that aren't sure what that is, um, it is when hunger drives you to irrational, uh, to irrational actions, to be irritable, um, to basically act like a child. And... Um, over the course of these three years, she's been very patient and, um, and loving with me and, and helping me realize that that's not a valid excuse for the way I act at times. Um, but it's, it's interesting in, uh, to see that when those times happen, maybe you experience that, when, when I get in those moods, everything kind of blows up. Situations that aren't that bad become that bad. Things that aren't that important become super important. Everything goes from a level three to about a level 12. 
And then I get something to eat. And what happens? Just this wave of peace and serenity comes over me. Everything is recalibrated. All of a sudden I realize, oh, th this is not the end of the world. Things are not that bad. Um, I eat something and everything is, is recalibrated. And whatever I was so mad about seems a little foolish at the time and all seems right. And eventually I have to go back and apologize to Rachel for acting like I was five years old. And I think in the same way, when we approach God from a place of worship, we are nourishing our hungry souls. And in a sense, we are extinguishing spiritual hangriness. Through our worship of God in prayer, we are being reminded that we are coming into the presence of our Father who not only loves us, who not only cares for us, who not only gives good and perfect gifts to his children, but who also happens to be the creator of heaven and earth, who also happens to be the giver of physical and spiritual life. God who also happens to be sovereign over every single detail of my life. Before we bring our requests, our needs, or even our confession of sin to God, we bring our adoration and our praise to our Father. But remember that, that giving worship to God before expressing personal need or confession isn't a magic formula, but a divine framework for prayer. It's a divine framework for prayer. Jesus isn't teaching us a four-step process to get the stuff that I really need in life. Jesus is teaching us that prayer that is motivated by worship helps us recalibrate and remember that in Him, we have everything we need. I think Psalm 84 does an incredible job of exemplifying what prayer motivated by worship looks like. And if you grew up in youth group in the 90s, then you've probably sung a song a thousand times about this psalm. And I just wanna read part of it to you, uh, the first five verses. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. Or if you're singing the song, O Lord Almighty. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself when she places her young near your altars. Lord of armies, my King and my God, how happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Worship is pictured here and is seen as expressed through our longing for God, through our joy for God, through our desire to be with God. And prayer that connects us to God is driven by our worship of Him, is driven by this hallowing of His name. Prayer that connects us to God also trusts in God's will. Trusts in God's will. Verse 10, Jesus moves to the next petition and we begin moving from a hallowing of God's name to a desire for God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. From our posture of worship, from this place of worship, our next petition is for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. Trusting in God's will then is really a call for us to pray and be about the things that God desires. Not just in our daily lives, but we are being invited into God's spiritual realm of massive kingdom work. One of the ways we seek God's will and God's kingdom is by praying bold prayers of faith. 1 John 5.14 says, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's good. 
Verse 15, and we know that he hears whatever we ask. We know that we have what we have asked for. So anything that is asked according to God's will, we have it. He gives it to us. One of the indicators that we are trusting in God's will is the boldness of what we are asking him to do according to his will. What kinds of kingdom-minded prayers and praying are we doing? What kinds of things are we asking God to do that only he can accomplish? You know, a couple, couple of weeks ago, um, I saw someone had tweeted a question and just said, if God answered everything you asked him for last week, what would happen? And I told uh, my, my small group that next Sunday that if God answered all my prayers from the previous week, I think that he would be with a lot of people because that kind of was what most of my prayers were. Lord, be with my wife, be with my daughter, be with my family. And those are good prayers and good things to ask God to do. But then I read about, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've been reading uh, about George Mueller and about the life of this guy named George Mueller, who is considered to be one of the greatest men of prayer and faith since the days of the New Testament. And George Mueller lived uh, near the, nearly the entire 19th century in Bristol, England. And he led four influential ministries, but he is most, uh, most widely known for the orphanages that he started. And through his orphanage in Bristol, George Mueller cared for more than 10,000 children in his lifetime. That's amazing. That is amazing work in the name of, of Christ. Yet, he never made the needs of his ministries known to anyone except to God in prayer. Only through his annual reports did people learn after the fact what the needs had been during the previous year and how God had provided. Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer in his journals, 30,000 of which he said were answered in the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. That's 500 definite answers to prayer each year more than one per day, every single day for 60 years. God funneled half a billion dollars in today's money through his hands in answer to prayer. I would hope God would just give us even a fraction of that kind of boldness and that kind of faith to trust in him and to trust in his will. Trusting God's will means that we are willing to ask bold, worship-filled, all my eggs in one basket kinds of prayers and then trust God to provide according to his good and perfect and sovereign will. Having confidence while we wait. Confidence while we wait. I love Psalm 62 paints a, a great picture of the rest that comes in waiting on God to answer. Verse five, Psalm 62, verse five, God's, or the psalmist says, rest in God alone. My soul for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. That is a God that we can wait confidently on and trust confidently in. As we ask, wait, and trust according to his will. No matter what we may be facing, we are invited to come to our Father and to rest in our rock and our stronghold. Trusting in God's sovereign will and believing God's sovereign word that he answers prayers, the prayers of anything we pray according to that will, compels us to be more than just passive prayers. And by that, meaning using prayer as an excuse rather than a strategy for seeking God's kingdom to come. 
So I want to be clear that praying is not a passive act. Praying is working for God's kingdom. But the d- distinguishing thing here is praying, uh, using prayer as an excuse um, to avoid doing anything else and being part of God's kingdom work. God in his sovereignty has ordained the church to be an active part of his mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so in a way, God has allowed us to partner with him He's at work, he is saving people to himself, and we get to be a part of that. Trusting in God's will puts us in the front row seat as we pray, as we go, and as we give. I was talking with um, Callie, who is part of our global team last week, and just was sharing with her some of what I was gonna be preaching on, and um, was talking specifically about praying bold, bold prayers of faith, and being confident in waiting, and being part of God's work. And Callie shared with me a a story that has happened recently that I just, I wanna share with you as um, part of an illustration of some of that. Um, So you may or may not know that we have a team in Central Asia that is serving among the Baloch people. And the Baloch are predominantly Muslim people group with very few believers. They're in a very difficult place um, and there are very few people there working with them. Gospel work is extremely difficult. The need is extremely great and the church is not present. But a few weeks ago, the global team got a text from our church planner who leads a team that's there and asked them to stop what they were doing and to plead with God uh, on behalf of a friend named William. Um, And our church planner had known William for several years and had reconnected with him recently. And they began meeting together to have gospel conversation. And um, our, our church planner just was very bold in his sharing of the gospel and uh, in God's sovereignty, he, he allowed William to be open to that. He began to lower down the, the guard in his heart and his mind and um, began to allow him to see. And he became very curious and was very interested in learning more and more about what it means to follow Christ and what it means uh, to give your life to Christ. And so things were going very well. They were meeting uh, several times. William would come and stay with him uh, for days at a time and they would study God's word. And um, it just, it seemed like things were progressing in a, in a very exciting way. Um, but then one night, um, our church planner got a text from William the day after they had had, had this more incredible conversation. He got a text from him saying um, that he had woken up and felt very unsure about the things that they were talking about because he feels he is betraying his religion, which for William means that he is betraying his identity and his culture and his family and the essence of who he believes he is. And so that prompted our church planner to send a text to the group of people here at Brook Hills and asked them to pray, beg for God to grant him faith to run from darkness into light, pray against the enemy's design to draw him away from truth. That was the specific text he sent. And so our global team, some of our elders, um, some of the prayer teams specifically for Central Asia began praying that night, the next Sunday at church. We even had a time during uh, our intercessory prayer where we prayed for the work among the Baloch. And to God's glory and because of his work, um, he began to work in William's heart and life. And William actually reached out to our church planner a few days later and asked if he could come again and visit with him, but asked if he could also bring his wife so that they could hear the things that they were discussing. And so um, the last update was our church planner sent a text saying, our time with William and his wife has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you for your prayers. And so we are seeing just little evidences of God's work and um, we may say, but, but William hasn't come to faith yet. And so is God really 
at work, but when we know the, the opposition that he faces, when we know the opposition that the enemy has put to him knowing God, to see him take the steps he has is clearly a work of God and clearly a bold prayer request from our people to ask God to remove the, the scales from his eyes. And so while this is an example of bold prayer, this is also an opportunity for us to be a part of kingdom work. We come alongside and we pray the same kinds of bold prayers. And so I thought, um, why, what, let's just take a few seconds here together as a church and just take 10 or so seconds. And I just wanna invite you to join me and let's plead to God on behalf of William right now, wherever he is, ask God to do a work that only he can do. And so I just wanna invite you silently pray for 10 seconds or so. And let's ask God together. Amen. So we pray bold prayers. We have confidence in waiting on God. And then we are part of his kingdom work. This is a testimony not only to God working and answering bold prayers, but again, this is an opportunity for us to be a part of his work in very specific ways. As we move into the, the last section of this passage, we see that prayer that connects us to God is desperate for God's work. Verses 11 through 13, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So in the last three verses of the Lord's Prayer, the petitions now shift to our needs. That's intentional. Jesus has shown us that prayer is primarily about his worship and his glory, his goodness and his will being accomplished. But even so, he shows us that he is, again, a loving father that cares about the needs of his children. He invites us to come to him frequently, desperately, persistently and confidently, knowing that he will act on our behalf. What we see is that God is big enough to care about what you need today. So ask him, give us our daily bread. God invites us to come to him for the specific needs in our daily lives. There's significance to daily bread, right? That, that God, we are coming and asking God to give us what we need today, for God to sustain us for today. And so that's not the same as asking God to set me up for success 20 years from now, but that's me coming and saying, God, today, will you give me what I need? Will you give me the daily bread that I need to get through the day? I, uh, I found, recently I found an old prayer journal that I had when I used to live in Colorado. And um, I found, for a while I would go where I would just write down what I was praying for and how God was answering it. And um, one of the ones I saw that it was, it was good, it was funny and it was just, I don't know, but I, I was sitting in the drive-through at a place called Carl's Jr. in Colorado. This was probably about four or five years ago. Carl's Jr. is like the Hardys of the West. And sitting in drive-through, and it's one of those drive-throughs where when you're in there, you're like locked in and committed. You can't get out and people are behind you and people are in front of you. Um, you're just, you're there for the ride, ride it out. And I had an old Mercury Mountaineer sitting in the car. There's probably about 15 cars. I don't know, it was a busy day and I was kind of in the middle of them. And all of a sudden, what happened? My car just dies. And I mean, just dead. And I tried five or six times to crank it. It would not crank. 
Then what happened? All the cars in front of me are now cleared out of the drive-through and all the cars behind me are like waiting on me. So now I'm sweating because I just feel all that pressure. Everybody want me to go. And my car would not crank. And just in that moment, I just, it's funny not thinking about it, but I remember so clearly, I just had the most sincere, heartfelt prayer to God to please God, please start my car. And I kid you not, started up perfectly immediately. And I just went on through, never had any problems with it. And I just, I wrote that down in my prayer journal as an illustration, but I just think that's a, a good reminder of God being big enough to care about what you need today, not in a silly or, or petty way, but God showing his bigness and his sovereignty and his goodness over the small things in our life that, that he cares about. The greatest hindrance to connecting with God in prayer is sin. So cry out to him. Jesus specifically mentions in verse 12, forgive us our debts and we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he comes back around at the end in verse 14 and 15 and reemphasizes that. For if you forgive those who, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. And so the, there may be a temptation to take that and think that maybe Jesus is saying that, that there is some element of our works that has to do with our salvation. But we know that, that that's not true. That's clearly not the gospel. What Jesus is saying here is that if my heart is not in a place where I am willing to forgive, if my heart is so full of pride that I'm not willing to forgive others, then my heart is most likely not in a place where I can be humbled enough to know that I need forgiveness. And so it's essential that we come to God and that we confess our sin before him, forgiveness being an example of that, but any sin that is hindering our fellowship with the Lord. I think uh, Satan is a great deceiver and he loves to whisper to us that our sin is okay, that your sin is okay. You can come to God, you can talk to God, you can compartmentalize your sin and uh, kind of put it off to the side and you pray and you worship and then you can go back to that. I think this is his greatest deception to us, but we clearly see in scripture that God not only requires that we repent, not only requires that we come to that, but has made a way that we can approach him confidently as father. Christian, if you are living in open sin, I just wanna urge you to come and to repent, to return to your father and to repent. He has opened the door and said, come back to me. I desire to forgive you. I desire to restore relationship with you. Cry out to him. Psalm 51 grasps what this desperation and crying out for God looks like, right? David's psalm of repentance after taking another man's wife and having that man killed. David says, God created me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of salvation to me and sustain, by, sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and the sinners will return. So we need God's forgiveness. But in God's grace, he has also made a way for deliverance. So we plead for him. The final petition offered in the Lord's prayer is for God's protection. Lead us not into temptation um, is not a suggestion that God tempts us. We know in James 1, God says temptations come from our own desires. Um, but scripture says that God tests us for the strengthening of our faith. And that's what's in mind here, that God would grow our faith by protecting us from temptation, delivering us from evil. We need God's protection, protection from our own hearts and our own desires and for the temptations to sin and protection from the very real, real spiritual battles that are taking place in our lives and in our world. And God, our good father, the Lord of armies has offered his protection to us. 
So what are you facing this morning? What are you being tempted by? What desires of your heart seem impossible to remove? Come to God, boldly asking him to do what is impossible for you to do. Come to him confidently as your father who knows. Come to him as the God who hears and answers our prayers according to his will. So practically speaking, what, what does that mean? Here are just a few ways that you can take steps to developing and deepening your faith through prayer. Just wanna give you five, five quick ways, some things that um, even I have been trying to do in my own life. But uh, number one, you have God's attention, so remove the noise. We know we see the instruction from Jesus to find your room and to close the door, the intentionality behind that. So set a time and a place. We've, Matt talked about that last week with reading the word, having an intentional, a time and a place. Where is your time to be alone with God? Where's your time where you give him your full attention and you receive the reward that he has promised? It doesn't have to be uh, Martin Luther. You don't have to spend three hours in prayer, but are you spending three minutes in prayer? Is there a set time a day that you and God are together? Colossians 4.2 says what? To devote our lives to prayer, that we are to have lives devoted to prayer. Being devoted to prayer means intentional alone time with God, but it also is a part of our life rhythms. It's fellowship with God. So just some, uh, some ways to, to incorporate prayer into life rhythms. Uh, turning off the radio and podcasts in the car to work. That's something I have been trying to do a better job of is using that time driving to, to pray. Another one that uh, is, a, is a strong one for me is fighting the desire to scroll social media when I'm bored. And so just defaulting to grabbing my phone and scrolling, but instead letting that boredom be a trigger to remind me to pray. Um, when I was single before I was married, you know, I, one of the hardest things that I, or one of the things that I did was I just, I hated silence and I hated being alone. And so I constantly looked for ways to have noise in the background and specifically around meals. I never ate a meal when there was not something on the TV or there was not podcast or there was not something. But I think that's a great opportunity to in, in silence as you enjoy your meal, pray to the Lord, learn to cultivate that fellowship with him. Um, use that time to talk to God. One of the things uh, that Matt said last year that, that really resonated with me and that Rachel and I have been trying to do um, is take all the Christmas cards that you get and instead of throw them away, which is what I like to do, but now we put them all, I love all your Christmas cards, but now we, we take all the Christmas cards and, and put a little ring on them and set them on our table. And anytime that, that we have dinner together, we pray for whoever the next card is. And so I just, I thought it was a great idea for Matt. Again, we're working prayer into those life rhythms, praying for people in the moment. So instead of uh, I'll pray for you and then uh, that really just being, meaning I probably will forget and not pray for you, having those prayers in the moment. If somebody needs you to pray for, somebody says, will you pray for me? Yes, can I pray for you right now? Becoming part of our life rhythms. Now the second one, you have God's ear, so pray until you learn to pray. You know, it takes time learning to pray, but God is patient, so keep talking to him. Um, our daughter, Lila, is, she's 17 months old, or about to be 17 months, and she's, she's now learning to talk. And it's just, it's been fun to see. I mean, she just runs around babbling all kind of nonsense, but she's trying to like talk to us. And every now and then she'll say a word or she'll say mama or daddy. And um, we know that she's, she actually meant it because she knows, or she'll point at something and say that, that. And, you know, she is learning to talk and she's learning to communicate with us 
And I think in the same way, prayer is very similar. It takes practice and it takes time to learn how to talk to God, to learn to talk in, in the language of God. As we're spending time in the Word, as we're spending time with God, we're learning how to communicate. And He is patient with us. And so continue to do that. Again, if you don't have an hour, you don't have to have hour-long prayers, but uh, you can have minute-long prayers. Are you praying for two or three minutes? God can do more in three minutes than we can do in 300 years. And so what would God do if we would designate the time for him? You have God's word, so open the book. Again, if you have focus problems, if you're not sure even what to pray, use God's word. It not only shapes our prayers, but it gives us the words to pray. Going through the Psalms and praying those Psalms back to God um, is a way to help focus our minds and our hearts and recalibrate us to his goodness and glory. There's a book by Don Whitney called Praying the Bible. It's less than 100 pages, which I love, um, and it is extremely helpful in, in dis- learning how to pray through the Bible, specifically the Psalms. Um, you have God's church, so pray together. Deepening your prayer life with your church is an essential element of your faith. It's why we do our part of why we do our prayer gathering. So we have our next one coming up on June 6th. So that's a great opportunity for you to gather with your church and to pray. But as we gather together and we corporately express our worship and our dependence and our trust on God, you are also learning how to pray together. It's a beautiful part of community that God has given us. Being part of a small group, joining a small group and in that small group, having time that you pray together, learning to pray. Um, another one, ask some, asking someone to teach you to pray. I think we're really good at asking people to teach us how to study the Word or teach me how to study the Bible, but for some reason, we're a little more hesitant to ask somebody to teach me how to pray. That's what the disciples did with Jesus in Luke 11. They said, teach us how to pray. Um, and I think that's a thing for us, identifying people that we know are communing with God and say, can you show me how you're doing that? Can you teach me how to pray? And then finally, you have God's Spirit, so don't give up. Connecting with God in prayer may seem like an impossible task, and the reality is that, that on your own it is. You cannot will yourself or be, uh, by your own strength, connect with God in prayer. It requires a supernatural work. But praise God, if you have confessed Jesus as Lord, then you have received the Holy Spirit who works on your behalf with the same power that raises men from death to life, and who is, according to Romans 8, 26, interceding on our behalf in prayer. When I don't know the words to say, the Spirit is praying for me. So pray and keep praying. Pray bold prayers. Pray word-shaped, worship-motivated, God-trusting, and God-dependent prayers until He returns and we see Him face to face.